Luke chapter 2, verse 8 and following. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he pleased. When the angels went away from them, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at, at the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And, in, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so we're into our third week in this uh, Advent series on peace. And each week we've been introduced to a different character or group of characters in the Christmas story. And we kind of use that as a launching point into a deeper theme through someone else, uh, through a deeper teaching about a certain topic. And so today, as you just heard, the classic Christmas story, uh, a scripture that is probably familiar to you, and the character of that we're introduced to today is a group of people and they were the shepherds who were out keeping watch over their flocks by night. In the middle of Israel, middle of the night, this group of people who, as we discussed in the Sunday school class this morning, this was a group of people who were not popular. Shepherds were not famous, well-to-do, well-liked people during this time in Israel. They were kind of seen as the bottom rung of society. Um, you know, I was, I was joking to the Sunday school class, like there's part of me that in modern days kind of wishes that I could move to Scotland and live in a seaside cottage with a big white flowing beard and have sheep and kind of have this like beautiful, domestic, warm, shepherding lifestyle. That's not what a shepherd's life was like in the first century in Palestine, just so you know. So let's get Scotland out of our mind and get kind of rough and tumble Israel in our mind. These people were not well liked. They were, they had no advantage in society. There's no reason for the angel of the Lord to show up to these people because they had no natural social advantages. They weren't going to be the people that knew a bunch of people in town to go tell them. They were kind of out on their own. They were removed from society. 
And yet it was them that the angels came to, to announce the birth of the King of heaven, the Son of God coming into the world. And what I really have noticed about them, and this has been talked about, I'm sure, uh, in the past, and you've picked up on it, is that these, these shepherds were just kind of doing their job. The angels show up to them. And of course, they are deeply terrified. They are troubled beyond belief because they're, they're just simple agrarian people. And all of a sudden, the bright lights shine on them and the host of heaven arrives into their shepherding field. And as we said in Sunday school today, who wouldn't be terrified at a scene like that? But especially people like this would be terrified because they had, they had no reason to expect this would come. It's not like they were working in the royal courts and they were used to being someone who an important message was given to. They, they didn't even have an idea of what this kind of power or majesty could look like. But they're the ones that God chose to reveal it to. But the, the thing that they encountered was fear. They were deeply afraid at what they saw. So just like last week, we looked at Mary and Joseph and we talked about how they were anxious. They were filled with worry about this news that they were given. Today, the shepherds are filled with fear about what they are seeing, about what is confronting them. And so that's the topic that's going to be before us today, the topic of fear. So as we've been doing for these last couple of weeks, and as we'll do the next two Sundays, we're putting things like anxiety and today fear next to the peace of God. How do peace and fear relate? How does the peace of God speak to us when we're most afraid, when we're experiencing fear on the deepest levels? And so we're gonna go into that topic for just a few moments this morning. I'll just, I'll use a pretty simple outline. Uh, The first point will be really why we shouldn't fear as people. The second point will be why we do fear, because all of us do. And then the third point uh, will be uh, how do we face fear in our daily life? So why we shouldn't fear, why we do fear, then how do we face it? So the first point will be why we shouldn't fear at all. You know, did you know that the number one most repeated command in the entire Bible, more than any other command, is the command, do not be afraid. Or you can phrase it another way, fear not. Or you could put it in a more positive way of be strong and courageous. So if you kind of piece those three phrases among some others, that, that's mentioned well over 100 times throughout the scriptures, depending on, on what you include as a do not be afraid type of command. But that's, that's, that's a more repeated command than anything else in the entire Bible, the command to don't be afraid. So that's, that's, I think, noteworthy for us. Why we shouldn't fear? Because the Bible seems to say that we shouldn't. And it says it over and over to us from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. This isn't just an Old Testament thing. This isn't just a, a Paul thing in the New Testament. This isn't just like a prophetic word that Isaiah and Ezekiel had for a certain time. No, this is from beginning to end, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Don't be afraid. 
33 times it says, do not be afraid. 33 times it says, fear not. Um, let me just give you one example of, of the one that says, fear not, uh, beyond what we've already seen from the shepherds. So Isaiah chapter 41 is a great example. I mean, listen to the power of, of a verse like this. I wrote down the wrong reference, so I have no idea where it is. I don't know where it is. I had Isaiah 41.10 written down. But, you know, this happens from times to time, from times to time. Oh, well. I'll just have to skip that example, as you can find it on here. What is it? Mine? My, oh, I'm in Psalm. What am I doing? <laughs> Pastor, what are you doing? I'm like Psalm 41.10. Thank you. See, this is why we need each other, right? Like this guy on the stage, who does he think he is? Listen to this. All right, recenter here. Oh, oh, pastor. Psalm 40, or Psalm, Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then just a few verses later, verse 13. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. And again, that, that's repeated so many places throughout the scriptures. Um, but just there's power in the phrase that the biblical writers from beginning to end, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And again, it's implying that we do get afraid. And we'll get to that point in just a second. But then, I mean, you get the positive version of it. So the, the idea of being strong and courageous. And if you've ever read through the book of Joshua, for instance, this is, this is what God keeps implying to Joshua. Because he, he realizes Joshua is stepping into the role of Moses. Moses died. He's this great, powerful leader in Israel. Joshua steps in as kind of the next guy up. And... Again, he's terrified of, of his responsibility and what he's about to walk into in the promised land, all the enemies that are before him. And this phrase is mentioned throughout the book of Joshua, particularly. Joshua 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So just powerful images of, of do not fear. Do not be afraid. This is... We shouldn't be afraid because it's something that the Bible just puts before us continually as an encouragement, as a comfort, more than anything else. Guys, I know there's a lot of reasons to be afraid, the Bible seems to say, but don't be. There's more to this than what you see just in front of you. And of course, Jesus picks up on this in his own uh, teachings in the New Testament. Jesus mentions it at least, at least 22 times. I counted 22 mentionings of saying don't be afraid or don't don't be overtaken by fear here's one example luke chapter 12 4 to 7 i tell you my friends do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do but i will warn you whom to fear fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell yes i tell you fear him but are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and are not one of them forgotten before God? 
Why even the hairs of your head are all numbered? Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. So Jesus picks up us on this idea of don't be afraid of what you're encountering. But he does kind of give us this foreshadowing of, but there is one thing to be afraid of. We'll get to that in just a moment. But that's just some biblical examples of why we shouldn't be afraid. The Bible seems to just go out of its way to come back to, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. No matter what you're encountering, fear not. It's going to be fine. Now, let's go into the second point of, then why do we still get afraid? Why do we still fear? And it's beyond just the, well, you're not reading your Bible and, read it and, it's, and you're, not, you're not taking it seriously when it says fear not. It's beyond that point. Like, we'll get to that later. But even if we do read the Bible and read those commands to not be afraid, why do we still get afraid? Where does this come from? I mean, there's, there's something just natural about being a human that makes us afraid, I guess, right? It's, it's in us. It's part of our nature. It's part of who we are to be fearful, whether we admit it or not. I, I read a, a study, well, I read an article this morning based on a study that said, I just laughed at this. Um, it was saying 75% of surveyed males, so men, believe that if called upon, they could land a commercial jet in, the, in an event of an emergency. 75% of men claim that they could, if put into the position, they could get that plane on the ground. Now, again, who knows? I've never been put in that situation. Who knows? That seems like a high number. That seems like they may be masking the fear of what that situation would actually entail. It's okay to admit that that's a terrifying situation. You don't have to be, you know, this strong Bruce Willis guy that's going to land the plane perfectly and save the story. Who knows? Like, it's okay to be afraid. The Bible doesn't say, you know, you're, you're a weenie if you get afraid. It doesn't say that. It assumes that we're afraid, but it says don't be afraid. So what is it that makes us afraid then? Take a moment just to process that. What, what makes you afraid? What fears do you have? And this is, press yourself beyond the fear of heights or spiders or snakes, like beyond those kind of fears, like that's not really what we're talking about today. I'm talking about more existential type of fears. Um, the fear of rejection, you know, from friends or coworkers or loved ones, or the fear of, of the unknown, of what may come around the corner, you know, bad things happening to you that you can't control or bad circumstances or being a failure in your job or school in the future. Uh, fear of unknown understanding of what the future is in general, your purpose or your eternal destiny even, like what happens after I die, just not knowing for sure. Fear of pain, just you know, sustaining an injury or getting a, a diagnosis medically that you're, you can't control or the pain of losing a loved one, maybe that's a fear. Or it could just be the fear of death itself. There's all kinds of fears that we have. Um, and from those fears, if those, if those fears are not met with the biblical command to not be afraid, and you just allow those fears to either be pushed to the side, kind of like that survey where it's like, oh, I could land this plane, I'm not afraid of that. 
if you allow those fears to just get deep in you, what that does is it drives us to other things. So it could drive you to just being a coward in life in general. So um, oftentimes there's really no real reason to be afraid of a circumstance, but you, you find that you are. And if you don't go through that hard scenario to realize that there was nothing to be afraid of at the, to begin with, then you just end up shying away from difficult circumstances and you just begin to, to hide in the corner as a coward almost. And the image that came to mind for me was uh, the cartoon Scooby-Doo. If you watch any Scooby-Doo cartoon, there's some kind of scary something that emerges and, and Shaggy and Scooby-Doo, the dog, are kind of the ones hiding in the corner because they don't know what's about to come. And then usually at the end of the show, they pull off the mask of the guy and it's not that scary of a figure after all. But Shaggy and Scooby were kind of the ones afraid. And then the other characters were the ones that stepped in and worked through their fear to solve the situation. So if we're not careful, we can turn into the Shaggy and Scooby in the story and just not confront the scary thing, whatever it becomes. And so the result is we end up living our lives in the fear of something maybe might happening because we don't know how to step through it. Another thing is what we talked about last week, which is anxiety. If you live your life in constant fear, it just creates a, a constant anxiety or a friction or a worry in your life that's hard to overcome. So this could happen when, when something legitimately bad happens to you and we become scared of that same thing happening again. So this could be a trauma or something that happens to you that's difficult and you say, I never want to go through that again. And so you avoid as much as you can, those situations. A third thing that could come from fear is um, isolation. So this could be when you've, been, when you've been burned by other people or something painful has happened that uh, relationally makes you fearful of even just entering into community or into relationship with other people. And this could be everything from family to friends to church right? I mean, what's, if you out, go out and survey, what's one of the biggest reasons people don't go to church anymore? It's because they were burned at some point in their past from a really bad experience in their local church. And so the result is, is that we end up feeling isolated or unlovable or unable to connect with others in a meaningful way. And we just end up avoiding people altogether. And maybe the last thing that fear would drive us to is this idea of just being jaded or cynical about life in general. Is that the world itself, so maybe it's not like individual relational people you know that burn you, but you feel like the world itself as a system or as a, as a structure, that's burned you. So the government let me down or my, my company laid me off and now I'm mad at corporate America or I was told I was fed a lie about something and now, and now I'm just cynical and jaded about the whole system. And then the result of that means that you just kind of give up on society and on culture in general and you just turn into a negative person, a cynical, sarcastic, jaded person. And you give up on hope. You give up on things actually turning out for the better. You give up on um, believing that things could could turn out well or that beauty or purpose or meaning is achievable. See, you see what happens if fear is not met with the, 
do not be afraid. You turn into these kinds of things and no one wants that. And as you know, our, our culture feeds off of fear. So 24 hour news, all that. I mean, that's been spoken of. Like we just, we fester on fear these days. There's something about this that almost feeds into that. But Jesus seems to say that there's something underneath all of our fear that is really going on. Listen to his words in Matthew 8. So this is one of the stories where um, Jesus is with his disciples on the boat and the storm comes and the boat's rocking and it says the disciples are filled with fear. They were really afraid. And so they go and they try to find Jesus and he's asleep. Remember this story? He's sleeping while everybody else is panicking and afraid. And so they go and wake up Jesus and they say, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And remember what Jesus says. He says, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. And then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm or a peace. And the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? On the front of your bulletin, um, a woman named Elizabeth Elliot wrote a quote that says, fear arises when we imagine everything depends on us. And so in this situation of Jesus on the boat, the disciples are panicking because they just, everything's out of control. Jesus is asleep because he doesn't really seem to worry about what's going to happen to them. And so he comes back to this idea of fear as a test of faith. If you're, if you're allowing fear to overtake your life, it's actually, it's actually testing the, the genuineness and the depth of your faith in God himself. And so Jesus says, you have little faith. Why did you, why did you fear? If you really knew who God was and what he's doing in this very situation right now, and this can apply to any of the situations we go through that make us afraid, then we would realize we really have nothing to be afraid of. So the reality is, is that everything doesn't depend on us. Therefore, to fear something or to be afraid of something is actually in a totally backwards, upside down, inside out, twisted kind of way. To be afraid of something means that you're actually worshiping that something because you're saying that it actually has full control over you. And so Jesus then prompts us to say, don't be afraid of those things. Don't let those things own you. Don't let those things overtake you. But instead, as Jesus says in Mark 5, 36, do not fear, believe, believe. And so this is the last point. Where does peace overtake fear for us? How do we face fear? The passage that I'm going to leave you with is John 14, 27, which is also printed in your bulletin. Um, and I pray that this will be an encouragement to you. This is in the context of Jesus after the Lord's Supper. So Jesus has served the Lord's Supper to his disciples. They're sitting around the table. They haven't left the room yet. And Jesus begins in, in John 14, 1. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Because the disciples are starting to pick up on something's about to take place. All these things Jesus has been talking about, about dying, you know, going to heaven, you know, all these kind of mysterious things that he's been talking about for a while. Now they're coming to pass tonight. 
that Jesus is about to let himself be taken so that he could die on the cross. So Jesus gets out in front and says, let not your hearts be troubled. And he begins to talk about heaven. He begins to talk about being the way, the truth, and the life. He begins to talk about prayer and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then he has this comment in verse 27, which is printed for you. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So peace over fear, number one, is a, it's a transferred gift from Jesus himself to us. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Meaning that to face fear, it's more than just don't be afraid. It's actually, we need to be given something that we don't have. Because it, again, like the Bible says, don't be afraid many times, but you may say, well, I'm trying, yet I still get afraid, so help me out here a little bit. And Jesus says, okay, my peace I give to you. Here it is. You don't want to be afraid. You need something to help you not be afraid. And the answer is the peace of God. Jesus himself possesses the fullness of peace in and of himself, because as the scriptures have told throughout in the prophecies and about the birth of Jesus himself, he is our peace. He is the Prince of Peace. The Apostle Paul later says he himself is our actual peace in and of himself. He is the fullness of peace in person. Jesus knows the answer to the riddle of life and he's able to live the perfectly content, balanced, assured, confident, measured, bold, patient, compassionate life Everything that it means to have peace, Jesus lived that and displayed it for us and then said, here, now it's yours. The life that I just lived and modeled for you, it is now yours through faith in me, which gives you the ability to not fear. He transfers his peace to us. He says, you can have it now. If you need it, I will give it to you. His fullness of peace is now fully in our name. So like if you've ever sold a car to someone before, you transfer the title to someone if they pay the full amount. You, the title was in your name and then it's transferred to someone else and now it's in their name. Well, that's like what Jesus has done for us with his peace is that he has transferred his peace fully to us. His peace is now in our name. I, Stephen, now have the fullness of peace in Jesus because he's transferred it into my name. Because he has that much peace to offer, he can give it to you too. Everything Jesus has, we now have as well through faith in him. The second thing that he says in this verse is that his peace is different than any other peace that's given. We talked about this a few weeks ago with the world peace sermon, how the world offers a certain kind of peace to alleviate wars and things, but the peace of God is different. And Jesus just reiterates that here. He says, not as the world gives, do I give to you. He says, the world is going to give you peace this way through a number of ways. But he says, I'm giving my peace to you in a different way. In an unconditional way. In a free way. In a transcultural, multicultural way. In an abundant, full way. In a forever way. He says, that's the peace that I give to you in a different way than the temporary, conditional, you got to work for it kind of peace on this side of eternity. 
And the last thing that Jesus says about facing fear here is that ultimately it's a presence. To, to face fear and with the peace of God means to have a presence with you. And it's, of course, the presence of Jesus himself. He says, peace I leave with you. Now you may say, well, it can't be the presence of Jesus himself because he's not here. Jesus' presence is not with us. He was with the disciples. He was with them on the boat. Like, I get that. His peace was with them there. So when he says, my peace I leave with you, what is he talking about there? Is it some kind of just like uh, obscure philosophical peace that he's like, okay, now you have my peace. Like, is that what it is? Like a, like a, a yogi giving peace to somebody. No, it's, it's something much more concrete and real and personal than that. There's a fascinating passage in um, just a couple of chapters later in John, John 16, 7. And again, I think this is one of these verses that just, it should baffle you. But Jesus says this, he says, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him to you. Meaning that Jesus is saying, I'm about to go to the cross. I'm about to die on the cross for your sins. I'm going to die a real death. I am going to rise and defeat death. I'm going to raise from the dead. You're going to see me for 40 days. But then I'm going to go back up into heaven and leave you physically. But he said, when I leave, I'm going to leave my Holy Spirit with you. And that is actually better for you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit can be with all of us at once in a powerfully unique and relational way, in a way that one human, as great as Jesus was, could not be. The Holy Spirit is with those who believe. That's what Jesus leaves with us. That's his peace that he gives to us. The Holy Spirit comes uh, for us to be our advocate before the Father, to convict us of our sins, to comfort us in our afflictions. He is our guarantee of a future inheritance with Christ. The Bible says he's our good deposit waiting for heaven. So he's for us, but he's also more importantly with us, meaning that he comes to dwell in the hearts of believers through faith until the end of the age. He never leaves us. He gives us the mind of Christ. He enables us to know what a daily relationship with God can be because he gives us straight access to God the Father. So you may not have walked into the sermon saying you're going to get a a sermon on the theology of the Holy Spirit, but here it is, because that's what true peace is. It's, It's the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling and living with believers. Therefore, let not your hearts be troubled. Through faith in Jesus, you have peace in you always to confront whatever makes you the most afraid. Nothing can overtake you. And instead of fearing the things that we confront, instead the Bible actually gives us one thing to truly fear. The Bible tells us that there actually is one healthy fear that you can have, and it's the phrase, the fear of the Lord, which doesn't mean that you're afraid of God or that you're terrified of him, but it's that you honor him, that you revere him, that you worship him. Remember how I said, if you're really afraid of something, it actually owns you to the point where you actually kind of in a backwards way are worshiping that fear. Instead, 
by fearing the Lord, you're actually then giving yourself over to him and saying, I'm going to worship you as powerful and as, as, as mysterious and as, as other as you are, I'm going to worship you because you're the one thing that's bigger than me. And I'm going to fear you because you're good. I'm not going to fear this because this is what's out to destroy me. That's what the peace of God can give you through faith in Jesus. So as we finish, um, again, there's just so much we could go into with this, but time limits. Um, the Holy Spirit is, is for you. That's what faith in the Son of God gives you. It doesn't just give you this like intellectual, academic faith. It gives you the presence of the living God with you forever. And that's the promise of peace himself. And so we're going to sing a song here in just a moment. It's one of my favorite Advent songs. It's a it's a song of, of longing. Of it's, it's called, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. But listen to the very first line. You're going to sing it in just a second, but hear it in advance now. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Let me pray for us and then let's sing that song together as we finish our service. Heavenly Father, I pray that this uh, encouragement from the scriptures will land well on each of us, that you would, you would allow your, your word to, to get into the depths of our heart where it needs to find a place of rest in us. So we do pray that you would release us from our fears and help us to step into the fear of the Lord, which actually is the entryway to peace, the entryway to freedom, the entryway to the life that you meant for us that we were meant to always have. So thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.